Have you ever noticed that people can be good at one thing, but that success doesn't necessarily translate to other areas? For example, you could be amazing at basketball and then try to play soccer and be terrible. You may have some cardio fitness that will help you, but you might be horrible at that other sport. Um, there are people that are very good business people, but they don't know how to be a good husband or a good father. Uh, you can look super strong. You can be a, a weightlifter, and then you go rock climbing. And if you haven't developed the, the specific muscles that you need, you'll be a terrible climber. Uh, it's, it's interesting because climbers intentionally don't do certain workouts because they don't want to have extra muscle weight for muscles that aren't contributing to helping them get up the wall. Uh, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> People can make wise cracks, but not have wisdom. You can be a smart aleck and not actually be that smart. You can be a wise guy, but be anything but wise. You can have all the wisdom of the world, but you can be a fool in God's eyes. You can be a genius, you can be super smart, but that doesn't mean that you have wisdom. Today, as we go back into the book of James, James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, James is now moving on to the, the topic of wisdom. James is such a practical book because we're dealing with Christianity 101. We've talked about problems that we'll have in life and how to have our attitude in relationship to them. We've talked about temptation. We've talked about how we use our mouth. We were deeply con convicted by, by that one. We've talked about a lot of different things. Now James is talking about so-called wisdom. Is it the wisdom of the world or is it the wisdom of God? Because James says there's definitely a difference. There's a big difference. And you know, wisdom in the Bible sense, in the Hebrew mindset, is not so much having all the answers, but wisdom is more of a lifestyle. You think about what it says there in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Saying, okay, God, I want to serve you and follow you. That sets you on the path towards wisdom. Wisdom is more of a lifestyle uh, than it is just knowing everything. It's knowing how to live in this world and follow God in this world. Applying God's word in your life, living it out. That's more of what wisdom is about. It's about transformation more than it is about information. Letting God transform you and live it out in this world. That's a wise person, not just the person that gets all the questions right at jeopardy. So wisdom is the discussion of our passage for today. James 3, verse 13. Starts off with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who's wise and understanding among you. Easy for us to throw our hands out, well, I'm wise. Uh, and remember at the start of this chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, 
there was a discussion about being a teacher. And so apparently, James seems to be calling back to that. Um, the, these teachers that were uh, claiming to have wisdom, but in reality, they, they were not wise at all. Who's wise and understanding among you? Well, let him show it by the good conduct of his works that are done in meekness of wisdom. Basically, if you have true Christianity, it will be shown by how you live. We studied that just recently. And today, James is saying, if you have true wisdom, there will be fruit in your life. It will be evident by how you live it. In meekness of wisdom. A lot of times we think of meekness as weakness. But as we discussed the other week, meekness is not weakness at all. In fact, in many ways, it's strength that you have under control. It's that Greek word, prautes. It's not weakness. It's gentleness. It's humility. It's considerateness. Thinking of others. Controlling your own strength. One of the commentaries I consulted this week uh, on this word prautes that we translate as wisdom here in, in New King James. It says it's the quality of not being overly impressed with one's sense of self-importance. The quality of not being over-impressed with one's sense of self-importance. Don't get impressed by yourself. That leads you down a dangerous path. Jesus said, the meek inherit the earth. James is saying, those who have true wisdom, well, they have it in meekness. But then, to contrast that, we get to verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. If you've got false wisdom, it's going to manifest itself in what my Bible calls bitter envy and self-seeking. If you're operating with the world's wisdom, you're going to see other people as a roadblock to your success. People are getting in your way. The way to get ahead is to get around those people that are in your way. Doesn't matter really what you have to do. You just got to get to your goal, looking out for number one. That's worldly wisdom. <coughs> looking out for yourself. You see the success of others and it doesn't fill you with joy, fills you with envy, fills you with this zeal. The Greek word there is zealos, zeal for the wrong thing. You've got zeal, a passion for what they have, and it does something bad in your own heart. Gives you that selfish ambition, self-seeking. And so this kind of false wisdom leads people who claim to be a part of the truth, claim to be representing God, particularly in James' context, if they're claiming to be a teacher, claiming to be wise, but then they're representing the truth in this way, it's a lie. It's a lie. And they're not representing. They're taking God's name in vain by claiming to be wise, but living as fools. Verse 15. Where does this false wisdom come from? Where does it come from? It says, this wisdom does not descend from above. Remember earlier in James 1, we saw that God's the, the giver of all good gifts, the father of lights, that all good gifts come down from him. Well, this kind of false wisdom is not descending from above. Where does it come from? 
Three places. It's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Those are some pretty big words. Earthly. The wisdom of this world. It's just in keeping with the the general wisdom of the times, of the culture that has no regard for living after God and the kingdom of God. Uh, It's opposed to the the heavenly because it's, it's just the earthly. It's concerned with the here and now, not with the hereafter. We measure this kind of wisdom, this earthly wisdom, by earthly standards. The, the standards that our society would say, wow, they are successful. But in God's eyes, so much of this earthly success is anything but success. It's an earthly wisdom. It's also a sensual wisdom, and that's not in the sexual sense. It's just in your, your base senses, your uh, kind of animalistic instincts. It's the same kind of wisdom that an animal could have to avoid being caught by a predator. Useful, but it's not the higher kind of wisdom that God wants us to ascribe to. And thirdly, he says that it's demonic. That's a pretty powerful word. Kind of a scary thought. Ultimately, if we don't get our wisdom from God, the only other alternative is that it originates with darkness. I believe that all truth that exists in the world is God's truth. And there are a lot of people in a lot of different groups, all different walks of life who have bits of truth that they've received from God. But any truth that doesn't come from God is coming from another source, is coming from the darkness, from the father of lies. Of course, if it's a truth not coming from God, it's not actually a truth. If it's wisdom that's not coming from above, it's not actually wisdom. Remember, success in one area of life doesn't necessarily translate to success in other areas. A person may be very successful and appear very wise by the world's earthly standards, by the sensual standards. But according to heaven, it's demonic wisdom coming from darkness. Verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where this envying after other people, where that is, not a good place to be. Confusion's there. Every evil thing. Self-seeking. Really the spirit of, of the original rebellion against God in heaven was a spirit of self-seeking that that infiltrated heaven long ago. And most sins that that you can commit really connect back into self-seeking. And self-seeking is different, by the way, from self-care. Because sometimes I ask people, hey, what would you like prayer for? And they say, oh, pastor, don't, don't pray for me. That's, that's selfish. I don't, I don't need prayers for myself. It's not selfish to ask for prayer for yourself. In fact, it's good for us to admit, hey, I need prayer. He's, these are some things I need prayer for. If we say we don't need prayer, then that's like we're saying, hey, I'm good. I don't need God's help. Right? So number one, it's, 
It's not selfish to ever ask for prayer. It's a good thing. And it's not selfish to get the rest and the proper nutrition and the proper recreation that you need to stay mentally balanced, emotionally balanced, physically balanced, maintaining yourself. If you are always giving out of yourself but you never take time for your own self, you're going to burn out and you'll be no good to God. So I gladly take my days off. I do it with a clear conscience because I know this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And if I don't take time off, I'm going to burn out and quit the ministry. And then what good will I be doing the Lord? And of course, all of us are called to minister. Uh, not all of us are called to pastor, but all of us are called to be witnesses for God. So just remember, it's one thing to take care of yourself, but it's another thing to be self-seeking. Where you're going beyond what you need for yourself, and now it's just this me, 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 all about me syndrome. That I problem that Lucifer had. I will ascend to the throne. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High, all about himself. And the wisdom that comes down from, from Lucifer is a wisdom that results in self-seeking. Ask yourself, as you engage in your business, as you engage in your life practices, who am I trying to please here? Am I simply trying to please myself? Or am I including others into the plans for my life? Am I including God? Am I asking God for his wisdom as I'm making these choices? For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You know, ultimately, uh, a house or a church or a life that's founded upon self-seeking uh, is not a good foundation, and it leads to confusion. It leads to other evil things. So, so far, just to summarize where we've been so far, the wisdom that is not from God, the worldly wisdom, uh, we could summarize it in, in three different ways. Its origin, where is it from? Well, it's not from above, right? It's from earthly, sensual, and devilish origins. Verse 15, what's the operation? How does it operate? Well, verse 14 tells us it operates in bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts. And what's the outcome of this kind of wisdom? Verse 16 told us it was confusion in every evil thing. What kind of wisdom are you operating your life on? Fortunately, we have some descriptors of what true wisdom does. The, the lifestyle characteristics of those who are operating under God's true wisdom. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from where? From above. Is first pure. Free from defilement. Pure. That's only something that God can give us. Only something that God can bestow upon us. But it's a pure wisdom. What next? It's peaceable. The wisdom from God makes you into a peacemaker instead of a peacebreaker. Somebody who is trying to bring people together instead of 
dividing people. Now, obviously, we do know that Jesus said the gospel will bring a wedge. It will be like a sword, and it will turn certain people against us. But the true message of the gospel is one of peace and unity. Those who reject it, though, it does create that effect. But when you have God's wisdom, you are seeking to bring people together, seeking to bring them under the love of God, the unity of God, the truth of God. First pure, then peaceable. What next? My Bible says gentle. But I learned in my reading this week that that this word behind what New King James translates as gentle, it's the most untranslatable word in the New Testament. Uh, Aristotle, he tried to define it. He said things like, well, it's that which is written, or which is just beyond the written law. Or he said, it's justice that's better than justice. And he kept going. He, He said, it's that which steps in to correct things when the law itself becomes unjust. Uh, so it's somebody who, who has the wisdom to know when to apply the letter of the law and when to give mercy. It's somebody who recognizes when the law is unjust and they have a more just way of doing things. The, uh, the poet, Matthew Arnold, he said this word is could be translated as sweet reasonableness. Someone who's very reasonable and they're very sweet. So there's a lot to kind of digest there. But this is the effect of the wisdom of God. All good things that he wants for us in our lives. Next, my Bible says willing to yield. It's somebody who's not obstinate, who's who's not so hard-headed that they'll never... Uh, consider another way, that they'll never um, budge on things. And certainly we, we don't want to budge when it comes to principles of right, but it's somebody who is willing to yield, not someone who's difficult to work with. Next, James tells us, someone who's full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy and good fruits. In Christian thought, mercy, eleos in Greek, it means mercy basically is is given to a person who doesn't deserve it. Somebody, it's given to, to someone even if they deserve something else because of their own actions. It's easy for us sometimes to, to look at people and the mess that their life has gotten themselves into and they say, well... They deserve it because they did X, Y, Z. And so I'm not going to help them because that's, that's tough for them. If God took that approach to us, uh, none of us would ever get help. Because we always deserve the consequences of our sins. But God looked down on us while we were still sinners and said, they don't deserve mercy, but I'm going to give it to them anyways. They've made a mess of their lives and they deserve that mess. But I'm going to take the mess upon myself. True wisdom from God incorporates that spirit of mercy. So when we look upon other people, it's not you know, laughing at their misfortune. It's trying to find ways to relieve the suffering of others, even the suffering that they've brought upon themselves. It's a very different attitude than what we typically have 
in our society. Next, it says, they are without partiality. Now, we talked about bias uh, a couple of weeks ago. This is not the same Greek word for partiality. This is a different one. It basically means that we don't waver. We have convictions and we act upon them. We're not constantly going back and forth. And finally, it says, those who've got this wisdom from above, they're without hypocrisy. Not hypocrites. It's interesting, the, the Greek word for hypocrite, hypokrites, that was referring to somebody who was an actor, an actor in a play. And in those plays, they would put on a mask and they would pretend to be someone that they weren't. That's a hypocrite. That's the, the background for a hypocrite. Someone who wears a mask and pretends to be somebody who they're not. There's a sermon right there that we could do. In the words of, of um, classmates, that'll preach. That'll preach right there. So James says, if you want to have true wisdom, you're not going to have a mask pretending to be someone you're not. True wisdom is authentic. Authentic. May God give us the help to be authentic Christians. To develop and grow an authentic community here where we can go to one another and we can say, hey, I need prayer for this and for that. Hey, I don't have it all together. I need your help. I need your support. Seven different things characterizing those who have the wisdom from God, the wisdom that comes from above. Finally, verse 18, it says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, a reminder that those who are seeking after this will be peacemakers. Peace uh, and, and righteousness best grows in an environment where, where people get along with one another. We have our differences. We have our, our different viewpoints. But God is wanting to give us a peace that holds us together, a peace that allows us to grow together in righteousness as we await that day when he returns. So at the end of the day, there's really only two kinds of wisdom. There's a wisdom from below, or there's a wisdom from above. Do you want to be a Mr. Wise Guy in the wisdom of the world, or do you want to have the heavenly wisdom that's from above? So a final question as we prepare to wrap it up for the day, how do we get the wisdom from God? Because I think probably all of us would say, yeah, I want God's wisdom. So how do we get it? Well, we saw already in our first sermon through James, James 1.5, it says if anybody lacks wisdom, they can ask God and he'll give it to us freely. So step number one to get wisdom from God is to ask him for it. Say, God, I need your wisdom to know how I can live my life for you today. I need your help to know how to live my life today, the strength to live my life for you today. We ask it of him, and we believe that he gives it to us. Number two, Jesus is called the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1.30. God has made him to be the wisdom 
of God. So if we want wisdom and true wisdom, we probably should spend time with the one who is wisdom. And that wisdom will rub off on us. The people that we hang out with, they affect us and, and they rub off on us for better or for worse. And so it stands to reason that if we want more wisdom, we need to hang out more with the one who is wisdom, knowing Christ personally. And then three and four kind of go together. We spend time in the word, the, the source of this wisdom. And if you want to know more about wisdom, read the book of Proverbs. A lot of wisdom there that's described. Very practical nuggets. You can just meditate on one verse. And, and if you truly apply that one verse in your life that day, that can be of far greater value than reading 100 chapters of the Bible and getting nothing out of it. Spend time in the source of wisdom. And finally, live it out. By God's grace, live out the word. Remember what we said at the very beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear God? It means to reverence him as our Lord, to obey him, to follow him as our Lord and as our master. So what kind of wisdom do you want? And what are you going to do about it this week? I remember several years ago, I lived in Sonora. I was pastoring up there. Really loved being up there. And I, I hadn't been there for too terribly long, less than two years. When I, I was notified by the conference, they were saying, hey, we think it would be a good time for you to go to seminary. We want to give you the option to go. And I said, that's awesome. Let me think about it, pray about it. Let me, let me look into it. And as I, to the best of my ability and my own wisdom, in consulting with God through prayer, but I realize sometimes when you really want a certain thing, it's easy for us to kind of influence how we feel impressed. But as I looked at it, added it all up, it just seemed like it was better to stay in Sonora for a while. And I think think I'll pass. For now, thank you so much for the offer. I'm going to pass and, and go after a while. Thank you for, for asking. Well, I didn't hear back for a few weeks after I had made my decision clear, and that troubled me a little bit. And then I, I got a, a call saying, hey, good news, you're going to seminary. And I was like, uh, hold the phone a minute. I, th I thought, didn't I have the, the choice here on going? And, and long story short, uh, I was blessed to be able to go to seminary at that time due to some circumstances in the background. Um, and for a while, to be honest with you, I, I kind of held that in my heart a little bit. Um, it took me a, a little bit to kind of adjust to this decision. But in the end, I, I had a wonderful time, and it was a super blessing. And the biggest blessing was while I was at seminary, I was standing in line one day, minding my own business, and a young lady, attractive PT student, stepped into line behind me named Sarah Wart. And uh, long story short, uh, we got married. 
<laughs> so there's a lot that I skipped there. But you know what I learned? Sometimes our own wisdom is not God's wisdom. Sometimes what we think is best for us in that moment is not actually God sitting up in heaven. He's saying, hold on. You think you heard me say, stay in Sonora, but just wait till you see who I have for you, John. Just wait. Chuckling a little bit on the throne in eager anticipation. And I look back and I say, thank you, Lord. And it makes me want to be humble about uh, how I feel God is leading. Uh, I want to make sure that I take into account the whole body, uh, take into account the input from others, and I want to let God lead and guide. We can try to live this life on our own and in our own wisdom, but James has told us it doesn't end well. I want God's wisdom today. How about you? Let's ask him for it. Dear God, we are grateful that you love us. You could just sit back and let everything in the world go on with, with no involvement from you. But you love us and, and you want to give us the wisdom to live our lives in a way that you alone know will, will lead to our greatest satisfaction and contentment, and greatest ultimate happiness. So, Father, we pray that you'll give us wisdom today. May we seek it from you day by day. May we apply your words in our life, and may others um, want to know about you uh, by the joy and the peace and all those wonderful characteristics that you give us. We thank you, we love you, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Sabbath, and have a great day.